Okay, hello and welcome everyone to Varian Perception's November Market Outlook call. Uh, my name is Aaron, I'm joined by Tian today. And similar to last month, I think the, the format we'll try and preserve is we'll effectively dive into some of our top of mind themes um, and play around with the portal just to discuss some of the nuances with our view. Uh, but first, I'll just quickly um, review the major changes um, across our leading indicators. Um, so in essence, the, the major things that have changed is that we've seen more signs of cyclical weakness, uh, no recession in the US as yet, um, and the other key change is that inflation leading indicators um, across our um, uh, across the world have shown a, a quite good, clear rollover. Um, and just, of course, with today's CPI, it does seem to be on track for this kind of narrative. Um, the other key things I want to highlight is just the tactical indicators um, reversed pretty quickly through October. So having been uh, flagging a bear market rally, we saw a lot of signals trigger at that kind of 30th September date. Um, you know, through October, we saw a huge amount of equity inflows and some of these tactical indicators start to reverse. Um, and now we're starting to see um, effectively uh, a more positive picture for for bonds. Um, so overall, I would say you know the most important chart for our clients to watch is our recession signal, and this will really be the um, the the next key piece for a for a, a big asset allocation shift. Um, in October, our, our recession signal did tick up, but it did not fully trigger. Um, and just um, you know, I keep highlighting this, and I will you know I'll, I'll continue to um, to do this for as long as the narrative stays the same. That recessions we model them as one zero processes, so we're not really in the business of trying to say you know over the next twelve months there's a forty percent chance of a U.S. recession. I mean, the key thing that we found through the data is that recessions happen very quickly, and they can happen when uh, we see simultaneous stress in soft survey and market data as well as hard economic data. Um, so today, the um, the recession signal for the US is hovering at this kind of 30% level. Um, and I think it does show that we are kind of in this window of vulnerability where usually we would see that jump from zero to 100 quite quickly. But uh, right now, where the, where the signal has been for the last couple of months, it does give us um, a bit more, uh, I guess it does highlight how unprecedented the environment is and how difficult it, I think it is with the cyclical picture. Um, and so just, you know, when we reviewed some of the inputs that go into our signal, trying to understand, you know, why it didn't fully trigger, um, I think that the overall message is that um, we, we've effectively seen quite resilient consumer data. You know, when we're tracking things like weekly high frequency measures, um, you know, spending patterns and so forth and surveys, um, they do they do kind of paint a picture of resilience for the time being. And we kind of also seen that from various company transcripts, you know, things like MasterCard, um, some of the banks as well. They have been flagging that, you know, consumer spending patterns and savings deposits at least have been, uh, you know, hovering at pretty decent levels. Um, however, when we're taking more of a kind of a leading indicator perspective with this, it paints a much darker picture for the consumer where, um, you know, things like our retail sales leading indicator, you know, our main US leading indicator dipped negative last month. Um, so it's painting this picture that's hard data stress, um, particularly with the consumer, um, should really start to pick up from here. And it's just waiting for these, um, you know, the signs of the bull whip effect reversal to really start to, to play out in the data. Um, and then really the, the other key thing, um, just to highlight before I um, jump to the, uh, to the portal, is just, um, you know, with our inflation LEIs showing a, a pretty clear rollover, um, 
you know, I think for us, the the narrative is that with markets, they can start to move past this kind of um, inflation scare pricing to pricing in a, in a recession scare. Um, and so, you know, when I'm looking at some of the um, some of the inputs into our U.S. leading indicator, at least for inflation, um, you know, I'm looking at things like rent inflation, where, you know, actually we're not really seeing a convincing rollover as we are relative to other areas, things like durable goods and so forth. Um, you know, when I'm also looking at, you know, measures of inflation expectations, again, they're hovering at pretty high levels. You know, if I get a sense of inflation breadth as well, just thinking about how many components are rising on a on a year on year basis above, say, 5%, that's actually still at a very high level and it hasn't actually rolled over as yet. So, again, I think it's way too early for, you know, today's print to give us the all clear as to, you know, when the inflation scare can be fully priced out. Um, having said that, I still think that, you know, with the tactical signs that we're seeing with bonds, it makes a lot of sense to um, to stick with that tactical trade and start to kind of add more cyclical conviction as as um, as the data um, plays out. So if I now just um, hop to the portal now, um, just to give a bit more context with, um, you know, how we're interpreting all of our different charts. Um, you know, if I go into our charts tab, we've got about two and a half thousand for, for the time being. Obviously, that's a lot to to filter through, but you can start to favorite charts. But uh, the key um, um, innovation that we've um, uh, rolled out over the last couple of weeks has been this dashboards feature, uh, where in essence, you know, we are compiling all of the various charts by um, investment theme or, or asset class. Um, and just really to, to really visualize what's going on with the cyclical roadmap, um, you know, all of our indicators right now are still pointing risk off. And we just cannot forget that the six month picture is still um, very negative in spite of, you know, the, the market relief that we're seeing today. Um, so things like excess liquidity still at multi-decade lows. BCFI, again, a measure of how many central banks are tightening, has a really good lead on, you know, things like, um, you know, long short relationships between um, high beta, low beta. Um, and then if I flick to some of the growth charts, again, all of our country leading indicators are rolling over in unison. Um, you know, our recession signal for the US still hovering at this quite awkward level. But then if we look at our China and uh, Eurozone um, recession signals, they're still at 100%. So it's telling us that, again, we're not seeing signs of this, um, you know, at least kind of Chinese reflation narrative playing out. Um, and we just need to let the data kind of... Uh, Kind of play out until we um, get more cyclically bullish on on Chinese equities. Um, so I think um, you know we've got a couple of tactical charts here as well, and I think this is really where um, you know I, I, at least from my perspective, you know when we're putting together reports and when we're tying together all of our different tools, um, I think there's been a really big improvement this year at least. And you know when I'm looking at the charts today, I'm seeing that you know at least for the S and P. You know, the, the tactical outlook is still quite bearish, um, but very interestingly, our U.S. 10 year tactical outlook has flipped positive. Um, so just to, you know, from uh, just taking clients through this kind of thought process and, you know, if I see that, um, you know, fresh off the day, you know, what, what would I then do and try to understand and build up a thesis? Um, so one of the things that I look at, at least from, you know, staying with the equity perspective, um, if I type in signals triggered, um, it just gives, um, you know, this is just a, effectively a compilation of all of our different buy signals across global equity markets. Um, you know, right now, um, you can say it started to dip from kind of end of September highs. 
And so it's telling us that, you know, through the bear market rally in, in October, early October, um, you know, where we are today. And if I look at um, if I look at our S&P flow measure, um, because I think this has actually been a really nice tool just to help clients understand um, positioning in a in a real time way, rather than kind of relying on some of these, uh, you know, CTA hedge fund beta charts, which can be quite lagging and maybe not painting the whole picture. Um, you know, this cumulative flow proxy, I think, is giving me a really good sense of, um, you know, effectively how, how, you know, is the bear market rally, at least in October, did it attract a lot of inflows? And the answer is yes, it actually it, it saw a huge amount of um, equity inflows. You can see the red line there surging. Um, you know, where we are today, it started to recede. And it's, again, giving us a picture that perhaps the bear market rally has has really exhausted now. And now we're starting to see more signs of um, of that kind of rotation into bonds where, you know, if I type in stock bonds um, and then um, stock bonds um, contrarian indicator here, it flipped higher to that kind of one and a half standard deviation level last week. Um, and so that tells me that, you know, actually that's a good contrarian sell for equity is good contrarian buy bonds. And so then I'm, you know, compelled to start thinking more about the tactical case for bonds and trying to understand, um, you know, how that marries with the cyclical picture. And, you know, this is the, the key thing I want to highlight from this week in our report where, you know, we put out our, um, our US 10-year buy signal. You know, if I type in 10-year signal here, um, just gives it a moment to, uh, to load up. And then, um, you know, when, when we saw this uh, trigger um, earlier this week, it gave us a good sense, you know, you can kind of see that it's flagged some tactical bounces through this year amid a, you know, obviously a wider negative backdrop. Um, and so, you know, my bias when I'm looking at this and marrying up the, um, the cyclical picture and, you know, the fact that our inflation indicators are rolling over, um, it's giving me a better sense to um, really weight this signal quite highly and start to, you know, definitely buy into this tactical trade and then think about converting that into a longer term investment. And I think, you know, what we've been saying to clients and in our reports is that the all in moments for bonds will be when our recession signal triggers. Um, you know, obviously, we're not quite there yet. But, you know, until we see signs of this kind of tactical um, picture flipping negative, I think it makes a lot of sense to stick with this trade. Um, so I'll leave, I'll leave it there for now. And then I think, Tian, I, it would be good to hear, because obviously we haven't, um, you know, we've been relatively early with our duration overweights this year. So I think the key question is, you know, what's different this time around in the sense that, you know, we saw tactical buys um, and, you know, we wanted to overweight, but we were a bit early earlier in the year. So what's changed this time around for us to really have more conviction in this trade? Mm. Well, I guess obviously the, the absolute level of yields have obviously reset from a higher point. So you're, you're kind of getting in at a level where, you know, maybe the market is, is, is doing a better job of pricing where terminal is. Um, but I, I would say, though, I think it's fair to probably frame as not the all-in. Because if we go back to kind of the what, what we wrote in June about the 1984 roadmap for thinking about, you know, um, how, to, how to trade and invest in bonds this year, I still think that's pretty valid. Obviously, we found that with the, the kind of macro analog finder. And, you know, the key takeaway was still that, like 84, when you had a stock bond crash together, when you had inflation up, you know, growth down, ultimately, the market needs to see CPI truly roll over. And, and then once it's rolled over, the central bank will tell you that they're happy with inflation rolling over and we're at peak policy. 
right? And then from there, there's a lot, you get the kind of green light. And obviously this is linked to our equity market bottom checklist, right? Where the key missing piece is Fed cutting and the and the, uh, ball steepening. Um, mm. uh, of yeah, the, I can part of this chart here, right? Yeah. We've got that, yeah. 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 So what I think, was, um, so I think we're not quite there, right? It just each step gets you a bit closer. So you get a bit more conviction. Yeah. So you want to start nibbling because obviously we don't know if the market front runs a little bit or not. Um, so I think that the main reason it's compelling this time is more, um, you know, the, a lot of the tactical signals triggered to, right, triggered well. It flipped the tactical context. It looked like a pretty decent setup coming in. Um, mm. And then, you know, as we put in the report at the beginning of the week, right, that was a pretty good time pretty good timing. Um, the option market gave you some pretty good shapes in terms of doing core spreads. And, and so I think this is still a pretty good tactical trade, but I would say just today's print, you know, the number's still pretty high. I don't think that's necessarily saying we're at the end of that roadmap. This is like what I think, you know, by first quarter 23 on our LEI, it's going to be much more obvious, right? If inflation trading out of five handle year on year, I think yeah. those are the things we're looking at um, to really um, then, then complete that roadmap. So, yeah, I, I would think today's move is also slightly more linked to just, um, well, fixed income for sure is positioning, right? People being so short, so the fixed income positioning. I think equities, it'll be interesting. Obviously, you show that flow chart, but that was obviously from yesterday. So, you know, once the market closes, you will, we'll see where that resets. But given the magnitude of the move, it, it could be uh, quite a big flow, right? So we'll, we'll obviously observe that. Um, but I think to your point, it's more... It, the decision is more equity versus bond rather than anything outright. So I think even though we're a bit early on the fixed income, I think that was still a pretty good timing in terms of getting out of equities uh, for bonds. And I think that's still kind of still the core case, right? Under where equities overweight bonds. Like the only scenario I think we really want to get overweight equities is really the recession risk needs to go back down, right? To zero essentially, or, or to like a very low amount. And obviously we don't see that. You know, to a point, the housing, the manufacturing, you know, all that data has been pretty poor. So, so I think that's probably where we are. I don't think it's, it's actually changed that much, other than obviously the markets reset a bit more, positioning has got a bit more extreme. But we're still not quite at finished that eighty-four roadmap for, you know, the, the kind of um, where, where where you have you know max long kind of uh, fixed mm -hmm. income really. Yeah, just to just to highlight to clients, um, you know, I've just clicked into our US fixed income dashboard. So um I think for me anyway, it gives me a really good sense of the, you know, the growth um inflation picture. You know, it gives you the tactical charts, um, you know, various fair value models. And again, you know, still a very, very, very divergent from where um, you know, 10 years should be trading. Um, and, you know, for me, at least, I think it's it's not going to give me every single chart that's relevant for uh, US fixed income. But I think that the value in these dashboards is that it gives you a really critical overview um, with which to view some of these, um, you know, tactical signals. Uh, just going back to, you know, what effectively um, the the bonds, um, kind of the, the calls that we've made through this year. And I think, you know, one of the lessons learned, at least from my perspective, is that, you know, we... I think we saw our um, our LPPL signal go off uh, um, uh, for the tenure earlier in the year, where we saw this this crash pattern play out, right? Um, and then when once we saw the LPPL crash past that critical date, I think you know that gave us a bit more conviction to start buying dips, right? And I think um, you know the lesson learned from there, and I think what's what we've done better this time round is that you know just the effectively 
we didn't see enough signs of tactical um, headwinds flipping to tailwinds, right? I think we just kind of saw the LPPL play out, but then things like the the tactical outlook. So if I type in US bonds, tactical, I think that was still pretty bearish at the time. So you know, I think it's you know at least now. Uh, with the portal, I think it's really easy just to get a sense, you know, if I type in US bond tactical, I can get a really quick sense and kind of mentally tick off, you know, you know, this is aligned, this is aligned. Okay, this hasn't aligned. Um, and I think for now, at least, you know, when I'm reviewing all of this, it gives me more conviction that um, that buy signal um, did make a lot of sense and to trust that. Um, but going back to um, um, effectively the, the equities roadmap and um, you know, you kind of mentioned this with the market bottoms checklist where, um, you know, the critical pieces that we haven't seen today, yield curve steepening, Fed easing, right? And it's not just Fed stops hikes. Um, you know, typically we see pretty sharp drawdowns after the Fed stops hiking, right? And then it's only when the Fed starts easing. Um, that's kind of when you have more conviction with the market bottom. But, you know, where we are today where, um, you know, recession signal, you know, maybe it does fall back to zero. Um, things like excess liquidity, um, you know, may start to turn up from current levels, um, you know, particularly as inflation starts to recede. Um, you know, if we see these cyclical signs start to turn a bit more positive from, you know, a very, very weak starting point, but market bottoms checklist hasn't been ticked off. Um, would that be a signal to start buying into equities or is it more just kind of trade the tactical and see how that plays out? So you're talking about whether to close underweights, essentially. Mm -hmm. And I guess you would say be closing underweights by deploying cash, right? Basically, given the current setup. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think there's obviously pockets. I don't, so I, I would characterize there's decent valuation, but this isn't like a OA or, you know, depths of 2020 in across some sectors, right? Like in the depths of 2020 across a bunch of cyclical names, right? Or like an OA, you, you, may, you might have stuff as such no-brainer valuations that, you know, you're a bit like, you know what, if I'm not levered, I can just hold it. At some point, it's probably worth doing. So I would say for investments and equities that fit in that bucket, um, then yeah, you would probably want to deploy, right? If we get, if we just maintain a good tactical uh, context and then the allies actually don't deteriorate anymore and the recession risk comes off um but you know i'm probably you know it's, it's still pretty unprecedented just given how bad and synchronized all our growth allies are and our liquid liquidity indicators are so it would it would be it would be it would be very strange for us to just still get a soft landing right i mean the fed's done quite has done quite a lot. The, the, the number's still high. The, the labor market's still good. Why would they suddenly start easing? Right, credibility is important. So I think it was, I mean, obviously it could happen. And for those things, yeah, you know, you can probably nibble, but it, it still feels like, I guess the only framework in which that makes more sense is, you know, maybe you should bring up the um, the recession, the median drawdown for um, asset classes for recession, yeah. right? If we look at what, what's priced in, because obviously, you know, this is a pretty decent, yeah, a pretty decent. you know, you've already, yeah, you've already, you know, kind of drawn down like a decent percentage of a historical median drawdown, right, for, for what recessions will apply. So from that point of view, obviously, risk reward has shifted a little bit, so you might want to tilt. Um, but I think on the macro front, there's just very, very little um, that suggests that um, 
you know, that this would be a time to go go long equities, right? It, it just, um, yeah, I, you know, I think that as I think I've said this literally on every single client monthly call from March, right? Like the one mistake, if we look at the history of what VP has done is we've underestimated the importance of excess equity and BCFI. <laughs> like it would just, oh, like the mistake has always been, you get excited by these things, you underweight the liquidity indicator. And the equity indicator is still, you know, extremely bad. So I don't think we can lose sight of that on the six yeah. months plus basis. Obviously we can react to the trading signals, think about one month's trade. And you know, as we put in the reports, we can think about, ways to structure convexity trades around it, right? Core flies, all these different things. Obviously we're prop on the portal as well, but yeah, I, I still just default back to liquidity. So, right. Even little things like obviously FTX is blowing up, like all these things in one sense, obviously, you know, that there's specific things linked to it, but in another sense, you know, liquidity pictures shifted, right? That's, you know, stuff is supposed to go bad when the overall access liquidity is this, this poor. Right, maybe it's it's over here, but you know, obviously, you know, tech layoffs are coming. You know, it turns out when you know when the liquidity environment gets bad, when credit shrinks, you know, we saw with the loan survey, uh, Fed lending surveys, and yeah, like you know, Facebook can't afford to be blowing billions of dollars investing in the metaverse, right? So now you got to lay people off. Like the whole, there's plenty of signs that you know, you know, the the, the current, what's happening currently is just a reflection of how bad liquidity has been since the start of the year and the fast deteriorating, right? So from here. It wouldn't be surprising if there's just more blowups coming. Um, so I think we just can't lose sight of that. So whilst we can manage the tactical around it, the core, uh, you know, first to shift. Obviously, you mentioned at the beginning, right? The it's still like we just need some clarity on the recession signal. And whilst it's still in this no man's land of it's not quite triggered, but it's telling you the risk is elevated, then we should probably really pay attention to liquidity stuff. And there's zero signs that's getting getting better, right? Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, again, just to highlight to clients, um, you know, we have a dashboard here just for our global recession indicators. Um, you can get a sense of, you know, what actually feeds into the US recession signal. We've got um, some of the inputs here. And yeah, I mean, they're all consistent with this sharp slowdown, right? Like obviously things like manufacturing, new orders to inventory, it's below that critical one level. Um, you know, building permits have started to draw down from their highs. Again, that's kind of linked to the... Um, the fact that these are liquidity rate sensitive sectors, they're the ones that move first, um, but we haven't really seen that sequencing to perhaps the less rate sensitive sectors. Um, you know, things like, you know, you mentioned layoffs, we've seen a, a bit of a pickup from the low, but again, we need to see um, probably more evidence of that turning higher for um, things like hard data inputs to really stress out. Um, but yeah, I think going back to, um, that implied recession chart, because to me, that's that just gives you a really clear sense of, um, you know, what is being priced in right now, and then trying to weigh that up with um, some of our cyclical tools. So, you know, obviously, yeah, equities kind of pricing in a recession, but then I don't think we have the chart in our portal as yet, but you can actually drill down further, right? And look through, you know, GIX1, GIX2, GIX3, GIX4, um, and look at the median drawdowns um, in, previous recessions then look at today's drawdown um but and, and what's very strange about today is that you've not seen defensives um actually draw down very much at all um you know relative to their um historical drawdowns in previous recessions right things like healthcare uh consumer staples you know these are these are very shallow drawdowns relative to uh relative to history so to me you know when i'm 
um, you know, when I'm kind of weighing up are equities mispriced or not, the fact that, um, you know, you haven't seen capitulation with the defensives, you need to see capitulation across all sectors, right, for us to really see signs of this market bottom uh, to play out. And then you see kind of the yield curve steepening, Fed starts easing for, for us to actually buy. But then, yeah, obviously the, the critical thing is that 10-year yields are still hardly pricing in a recession, right? It's, it's incredibly underpriced. Um, and that kind of extends to credit as well, where, um, you know, you mentioned the, the credit surveys, you know, uh, senior loan officer survey paints a much darker picture for the credit cycle. Um, you know, to me, I think that's, you know, if you do want to play that next leg lower, looking at things in, in credit make a lot of sense as short opportunities. Um, and, you know, the, you can look at all of the different uh, fundamental charts. So if I just type in US credit, um, you know, yeah, we've got the, the senior loan officer survey here. I can kind of scroll down, get a sense of issuance data. You know, here's one of, you know, one of our Desert Island charts for credit where, uh, you know, this is effectively just measuring cash flow positions for companies, you know, relative to how much they're spending on, on you know, real capex, on, on buybacks and so forth. And you can see that's that's really turned. And, you know, for, with where we are today, it's, again, we're kind of in flux, right? We're kind of waiting for the recession signal to trigger to really drive these uh, conviction views with, you know, underweight, like fully underweighting equities, fully underweighting credit. Um, and then going, you know, all in on um, on U.S. Treasuries. Again, we're not quite there yet. Um, I think, Tian, if we perhaps just shift gears and look at China, because this is something that, um, you know, we put out in the macro snapshot where we saw some signals trigger. Um, you know, we've got the, the, the reversal buy signal that triggered. Um, you know, we saw the LPPL crash pattern play out. Uh, you know, this is going into the uh, 20th Party Congress. Um, and so we did see that crash really start to, you know, in, go into that kind of final low. You know, where we are today, I'm, you know, I, uh, my my sense is to stick with these tactical longs and then wait for evidence that, you know, the cyclical picture has turned, right? Because, you know, if I type in China cyclical, um, you know, a leading indicator still hasn't really shown signs of bottoming. Um, but then, you know, I can kind of look down and get a sense of, you know, should it start to bottom very soon and things like excess liquidity, um, you know, that has started to turn out things like the credit impulse as well. That's been kind of floating around. Um, these are signs that there is, you know, some stimulus waiting in the wings for sure. Um, it's just that obviously there's a lead lag relationship, right, that where, you know, we can't get too excited and, you know, put all our eggs on this kind of excess liquidity chart. I think we need to, uh, and, you know, similarly for here with uh, Real M1, um, you know, yes, that has turned up higher, but again, it's kind of at this uh, pretty low level. And when we're looking at things like, um, you know, shadow bank finance growth, things like, um, uh, you know, effectively some of the high frequency data as well, it's not giving me the the best sense that the cycle is, uh, you know, right about to turn. And I think, um, you know, I'd be interested to hear what's, you know, what are the signposts for us to um, you know, take off this tactical long, you know, what what uh, kind of levels should we be watching out for? And conversely, uh, you know, should we be aggressively buying once we see the uh, China LEI turn up? Uh, yeah, so maybe if you bring up the just the tactical outlook, because I think what's very interesting this time is, in a way, the somehow our system essentially almost predicted that there was going to be the rumor right in a way like to me if i don't know how much this is like 
you know, price makes its own action, right? So because the price move, people give a lot of credibility room. I know obviously, you know, it's absolutely blowing up Twitter, right? The Shanghai macro, you know, guy talking about the reopening and that's been the narrative uh, because it's been such a big move. But obviously going into it, it's a pretty epic kind of reversal setup with, a, with essentially a reversal signal alongside the LPPL at like a pretty extreme mm. coin. So like a part of me is thinking this is just all just, this is just like the market was, it's just positioning. It's just positioning and the technicals and it's moving and then there's a narrative following it. Like, you know, how biggest, like how big a marginal impact story can there be in China, right? China's never done like a big ban. Well, not never, but it's pretty rough trying to do a big ban policy shift in response to right? It's, it's just always been a pattern of, you know, you can see it coming for a while and then eventually there's a shift and then there's a marginal Right, just you know, like China's had terrible demographics, so then they they wait loads of time, and then they uh, said you can have two children, and then they then after they're like, oh, you have three kids, and like you know, stuff just moves slowly, right? Usually, right. So obviously, like the the I guess well, I guess the education um, sector clamped down was like somewhat more of a shock. Although again, there was some communication ahead of time, and then and then came right. So um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I don't know why you would get such a dramatic news that that's probably worth the price action, other than the fact that the position is extreme. So I guess yeah, it probably defaults back to in my mind it's a tactical trade. Um, obviously you got up the flow charts, so we can probably get a sense if if say we at least get get somewhat towards where the towards uh, you know even halfway to the August inflows, right? That probably gives yeah. you a good sense. You know, people being sucked into this, but I don't see any. I don't. I don't see any major shifts in in China to suggest our LDI is going to do a lot right the, the global growth condition is so bad that's way overwhelming any domestic stimulus and, and I'm, it, I'm fairly sure there's no appetite to do a 16 2016 or 2008 style you know major stimulus right the symbolism of that is the fact that you know she, you know at the, at obviously she made such a public show of you know humiliating Hu Jintao right at, at the at the point of Congress as well just to signal the break and you know the you know with that you know whatever policies were enacted during that regime, put you know that that baby you don't want to do the the in kind of you know it's just just create money to to blow up the system or not, to to blow up credit to support the system right you know excuse me so I I'm just not sure what dramatic news is going to come to to justify to justify LAIs to shift a lot so I, I mean I, I just think of it as like a tactical trade because it's a very compelling tactical setup. We can just afford to wait until our, our China itself does turn up, and then we're probably not going to do a great job second guessing it, right? And and you and you're probably better to be late than early. Um, I just think it's been such a shock in in terms of the you know China's policy stance for the past year that this is more akin to you know animal spirits have truly been crushed. People are really risk averse. It's gonna it's gonna take a it's gonna take a lot. To, I think just jolt that back, um, right? Whereas if it's like a quick downturn shock and a quick recovery you don't have that kind of memory there of just all the pain and stuff and i think for china it's just been such a long prolonged period of um you know just, just this policy mix that hurts the economy and the overhang obviously you know a lot you know there's all you know lockdowns all this stuff is still in the news um it just it's just not obvious to me why that would um why, why suddenly this is just going to turn so yeah i think i'm just viewing it i'm viewing very much as a, just news follows the price but our indicators do seem to have done a pretty good job of obviously flagging the price action and then the flow. And so we should probably just stick to that and treat it as a tactical thing. Yeah, I think that, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and I think that that 
does kind of dovetail quite nicely into our EM views, right? Where um, I think we did see in LPPL for um, uh, for MSCI EM, right? Where um, yeah, we saw that trigger kind of last week, and you know that is linked to the to the China signal, of course. And you know, I think again, it's you know we're seeing some of these tactical signs start to trigger, but again, it's not giving us. You know, it's you know one of the biggest things I think for me as well is that you know, even if, as you're seeing these valuations get more and more attractive on the way down, um, you know, we just cannot lose sight of the cyclical picture, right? And I think that's where the dashboards really come in, where, you know, it helps remove some of that bias, right? And it helps me uh, just contextualize, you know, what I'm seeing kind of on the day-to-day and from the headlines. So, you know, our default, um, you know, cyclical regime picture for EM equities, at least, um, is our regime indicator, right? And so that's still very bearish. It's helped us, um, you know, stay pretty much underweight EM equities for the last few years, um, and again, it's a it's pretty it's a pretty high hurdle rate I think for us to get bullish on EM and um, you know things you know the inputs that go into this it's global excess liquidity. So again, as we saw earlier, still incredibly negative. We actually need to see that turn positive, not just a you know a turning point off the low. We need we actually need to see evidence that you know, money creation is starting to spill over into EM, right? And so things like, um, you know, EM money growth starting to outpace DM money growth, um, you know, we're kind of in the early innings of that. And I think it's, it's you know, we're so- starting to see some of these cyclical signs move in a positive direction, but, um, you know, we're just, you know, that hurdle rate is still very high. And so, you know, just a little bit of progress is not enough. Um, but I will say that, you know, one of the things that we have um, done a lot of work on um, over the past month, we released a thematic report on our leading indicators. Um, you know, we built out a huge amount of um, uh, and improved our inflation LEI suite, at least for, for a lot of the EMs. And so, you know, when I'm looking at some of our inflation LEIs starting to really roll over, um, you know, in, in actual headline terms, I'm seeing that LATAM is, is you know, that that is looks like a genuine peak and our LEIs suggest that, you know, there's more to more to come with the rollover. So, you know, to me, the, the one of the high conviction ideas um, in EM, at least, is still Brazil bonds, right? And I think, you know, I've been sticking to this for quite a while, but, you know, if I just type in Brazil bonds, um, you know, this, to me, this regime chart is, you know, very, very interesting is when the market starts pricing in cuts. It's usually been a very good time to um, stick with uh, long duration assets in Brazil. Um, you know, equally, I can type in, uh, you know, Brazil leading. I can see the inflation LEI is rolling over. Um, you know, growth LEI is starting to starting to bottom again. We probably need to see that line up with um, our China LEI, given that it, it is an input into a lot of our LATAM growth um, leading indicators. Um, yeah, I don't know, Tian. I mean, we've been, um, you know, we've been highlighting the capital cycle as, you know, really turned positive for LATAM. We know that, you know, there's been a huge um, investor exodus from LATAM over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I, how would you weight the very positive structural capital cycle picture versus, you know, still not enough positive cyclical signs in LATAM with respect to, um, you know, buying uh, Brazil, Mexico, Chile equities. How do you how do you weigh all those things together? Well, obviously, uh, long fixed income is fine, right? Because long long fixed income works because we're going to have a easing cycle. The economy is still not doing great, and obviously, it's capital starve as a country. So obviously, it's fully aligned for 
buying Brazilian bonds. I mean, it seems a lot more consensus to trade, right? It seems like everybody's bullish, but if you do get the easing cycle, then obviously it should still work. Um, but otherwise, yeah, I think in general, we will definitely like the LATAM exposure, especially within, yeah, right? Obviously to the earlier kind of China discussion, you know, you, you, with, you obviously China valuations are very cheap. I think we've generally described as this A time to buy, not B time to buy, like at some valuations with so much bad news pricing, it's, it's kind of worth a punt. Kind of thing but i think in terms of what we want to do with em is probably want to start looking away from china more right and look at some of these other opportunities that's more aligned with our framework um whereas china is not capital scarce right to start with so it's not a structural it's not a structurally good setup it's just cheap um at the same time obviously when you when you're talking about a lot of political risks around whether foreign investors will have you know, the capital controls, if you can actually get money. I think it's that's the issue with China, the territory we're moving towards, that you're, you're basically still making a big assumption that global finance is going to be connected, that when you invest that, you can actually get the money out, right? And the way I think things are being perceived in China is the US declaration on, you know, like um, on the semiconductors and like, you know, stopping trying to stop China accessing the high end. That's, that's like akin to like, that's like a massive declaration of economic war, right? I think that's basically how it's going to come across. It's almost like China's going to view it as like attempt to choke China, right? So attempt to like strangle China, right? So I think you're you're very much the mindset is into, you know, as, and obviously with with is the mindset is just extremely confrontational. Or this, you know, you don't know about how things are going to escalate, and obviously with the, you know, I don't think it's necessarily the pure narrative. Okay, it's just a bunch of sycophants that's in charge now, right? There's still obviously. There's so you know there's still some people that uh you know like obviously Li Chang messed up the um the Shanghai lockdowns very badly, but he's also been in charge of a lot of the other market stuff. Shanghai before that lockdown debacle was actually considered to have managed itself quite well because you know they, they were they resisted the hard lockdown for a while and did a bunch of different policies. So I think from that point of view, it's probably not as it's not like the leadership is so bad that it's uninvestable. I think the issue is. It's that both the West and China have gotten themselves into such a major kind of conflict mindset that it's going to hard to de-escalate from here, right? I think the 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 economic sanction these things are basically viewed by China as essentially like it's just war already, right? I think I think it's going to hard to back hard to back off from that, and so I think when you're into this territory, it's like it could be compellingly cheap, but if there's some risk that you just can't get your principal back even when you invest there, but there's also other opportunities in EM that we like anyway. Why would we not? Why we not just go to Latin and also buy cheap stocks that's aligned with all the capital cycle that you know, carries a lot less of this risk? I think that's probably more uh, how we frame this kind of you know, Latin America and our interest in the area. And obviously, yeah, to, to your point, right? Like, you know, people been underweight that you know, there's been disinterest in Latin for a decade, so that that feels more aligned, right? It, it's probably going to take a while for. The, the apathy towards China, the disinterest, all these things to really sink in before China probably actually gets flagged by our capital cycle model as attractive. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, just to highlight to clients, we do have our capital cycle rankings in, a, in the portal. So I've just typed in capital cycle. And yeah, you can just get a sense of, you know, regional industries out of the, you know, 350 odd. Uh, you can see that a lot of them. Um, a lot of the Latin American industries are, are ranking as very capital scarce, you know, airports here, um, you know, marines, construction materials, energy. Um, so, yeah, all of our all of our tools, we are trying to make them 
you know very much available and give clients direct access um i think i think we'll uh we'll leave it there tian and um um we'll uh post a replay and a, and a transcript of the call in the next couple of days uh thank you very much everyone for for listening and dialing in today and um we'll see you again next month thank you